Welcome to Parkview. We're glad you're here. Welcome all of our campuses, all of you online. So glad that you're here. Just kind of having a weekend where we can kind of remember what the vision is around here and think about what's going on. And then mass baptisms at the end, so changing things up a little bit. Uh, just got back from uh, leading a group of Parkview people to the Holy Land, the land of Israel. Here's a picture of us from the Mount of Olives. I'm going to tell you, it should be a bucket list trip for you. It's my third time over there, and it's just a, such an incredible time. You, you, when you realize that Israel, that the, the nation of Israel, is the size of Lake Michigan... All right. I mean, it's the size of New Jersey, e either way you want to look at it. And, and this is like Abraham, you know, did stuff there. Moses did stuff here. David did stuff there. Jesus, obviously, the church starts there. All of these things. I mean, it's just an incredible experience. Had a, had a real blast. International travel is always bad. It's always dumb. Uh, I mean, you know, I mean, you just got to fly a long way and, you know, we're all still jet lagged. And um, plus, the, you know, people in other cultures evidently don't do things the same way we do. This was literally in a bathroom stall. I took this picture. Evidently, not everyone knows how to use indoor plumbing correctly. So they had to put this sign up. So I, <clears throat> I'm thinking, <clears throat> I'm, I'm thinking about Moses. I'm thinking about this sermon, about our vision. I'm thinking about Moses and Joshua leading his people through this crazy desert. It's just a picture of it. And I'm thinking they're, they're coming in from Egypt. I'm looking over. I'm, I'm imagining Moses leading the people out of Egypt, right? And into uh, the edge of the promised land. And then Joshua leads them in. And I'm thinking, why would he do this? <laughs> why, why would Moses do this? He, leds, he led millions of people through the promised land for 40 years. 40 years. I led 40 people through the promised land for a week and I'm exhausted. <laughs> and I had planes and a bus and a tour guide. You know, I didn't have an Egyptian army chasing me. There was no waking up every morning wondering if God was going to drop bread down from heaven. We had a breakfast buffet. <laughs> there was no bacon, but we had a breakfast buffet, okay? We're in Israel. They're Jews, okay? Try, tr try to keep up, all right? We, we literally, on our last trip, we had a guy bring some of that Costco bacon that's already cooked. He brought it in his bag so he could have bacon at breakfast. It was, was not me. It was not, don't awe me, okay? <laughs> Mo Moses had the hardest leadership job ever. Why did he do it? Millions of whining people through the desert for 40 years, and it's 40 years more than he should have because he was just going to lead them in, and God said, no, I'm tired of these people. I'm not going to let them in. In other words, you know you're having a bad day when you have to lead people that God doesn't even want to hang out with. <laughs> so I remembered this lesson in leadership that I heard Bill Hybels teach many years ago that really inspired me, and it was about Moses, and it was about leadership. Now, if you don't understand who Moses is or, or what the deal was there, Moses grew up, he was an Israelite, he was a Hebrew, he, he, would, he was, he was a, a child of God, he was a Jew, and, and then he, he because they were trying to kill all the babies. He ended up in Pharaoh's house. Okay. Long story short, he was trans-ethnic. I don't know if that's a term or not, but he's basically, he's Egyptian by growing up, by, by, you know, where he lives, but he's an Israelite by his heritage. So he's raised in Pharaoh's household with all this privilege, but he's still got this Jewish background in the back of his, of his mind. And, and there was a defining moment. This is what Heibel said, a defining moment, which I think drove him to this crazy leadership idea. The Egyptians had enslaved the Israelites by this time. They had put them to hard labor, making bricks for all their crazy building projects. And Moses is watching one day, and here's what it says. One day Moses had grown up. He went out to where his own people were. See, he's already feeling that, the, the, the Israelite thing. And he watched them at their hard labor. He saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his own people. 
He sees this, it's probably a soldier beating this Jewish slave. And something rises up inside of him. And he can't take it anymore. And he snaps on this Egyptian, goes spider monkey, opens up a can, however you want to describe it. And glancing this way and that, he came to the defense of his countrymen. It was like he took a stand and he said, all right, this is, this is it. Uh, I'm, gonna, I, I'm, de- I'm defending my people and you are my people. And he winds up killing the guy and burying him in the sand. And I've preached this before. The text says, glancing this way and that. So if you're in a court of law, they call that some sort of premeditation, right? So, so what I want you to understand is that Moses, is the, the angst that he's feeling for his people led him to a sin. He was a murderer. Don't cover over the sins of the people in the Bible, please. David was a murderer. The apostle Paul was a murderer. I mean, that's just the beginning of the list. But Moses, the important part of this is that Moses is seeing this oppression. He's seeing his people being beaten down. And he says, this is wrong and and somebody's got to do something. Fast forward a few frames, burning bush scene, okay? He's, he's walking around, and he sees this bush that's not burning up, and, and so he stops, and he hears the voice of God, and God says, Moses, I have seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard the sounds of their cries. Basically, God is saying, Moses, do you remember how you felt when you saw the oppression of your people and your brothers and sisters? Well, I'm concerned about it too because they're my people and I'm going to rescue them. I think what God is saying is, Moses, what you saw those, the, 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 when you saw that oppression that frustrated you, I've been seeing it too and I'm going to intervene from heaven. But as you may not know, Moses, I always work through people. And tag, you're it. I'm going to assign you leadership here on earth to help me help my children. I saw your emotion. I saw that you're a man who can't stand idly by when you see people oppressed and beaten down. I see the passion and the capacity that you have inside, and I'm going to harness that internal firestorm that's been raging inside of you, and I'm going to use it in a positive way to help set my people free. It's at this point that Bill Heibel shows his age because he brings up an old cartoon, Popeye. How many of you remember Popeye, the Popeye the, the sailor man, toot toot, right? Okay. Ha- had this lovely girlfriend named Olive Oil. Real traffic stopper, wasn't she? <laughs> Made the men whistle and the dogs bark all at the same time. But, but, but the deal, he loved olive oil, and, and whenever anything would start to happen to olive oil, whenever olive oil got in danger, usually by Brutus, the ba- big bad guy, whenever something might befall his beloved olive oil, Popeye would feel that thing, the thing that Moses felt. He would feel this angst rising up inside of him, his pulse racing, his blood pressure going up, and he would utter the words that a whole generation had burned into their psyche. He would say this, that's all I can stand, and I can't stands no more. It's not very good grammar, but say this with me. That's all I can stands, and I can't stands no more. Then he would open up a can of, uh, not whoop something, sir. No, yeah, I, I meant the food, okay? Um, yeah, he, he would open up a can of spinach. We did not know at this point that spinach was a superfood. This is just amazing, right? He would pop open a can of spinach, and he would eat it and supernatural strength would flow into his weirdly massive forearms. I guess the cartoonist couldn't draw bigger biceps or anything. It was just big forearms. That's all he had. And he had this incredible power, and he would fix the problem and, and save olive oil, and then he would sing. Through the finish, I eat the finish, I 
I'm strong to the finish because I eats me spinach. I'm Popeye the Sailor Man. Oh, the good old days. Cartoons aren't the same anymore, are they? Come on. You got this Pokemon stuff. This is, uh, you know, this was a t-shirt I could have bought in Jerusalem. I'm not kidding you. <clears throat> they were selling them. I, I wouldn't buy one. That's not politically correct, but that's what they were selling. I'm just telling you this. I miss the old days. I miss the old days when a little mouse named Jerry used to beat the snot out of the cat that was trying to eat him. You know what I'm saying? Coyotes used to blow themselves up trying to get the road runner. Where's all the good carnivorous predator cartoon stuff anymore? Hate that wascally wabbit. I digress. Popeye would hit his limit. He, he would say, that's all I can stand. Moses hit his limit and said, that's all I can stand. And, and, and what Bill Heibel said is that's where the real passion of leadership comes from. Moses couldn't stand to see the oppression of God's children slash his brothers and sisters, and neither can I. Bill Hybels called it a holy discontent. That's all I can stand. We've got to do something. Think King David, Goliath, this huge man, is challenging the people of Israel, calling them names, telling them that they're going to kill him. And, and David every day goes out and his older brothers aren't doing anything and the soldiers aren't doing anything. And finally he gets this holy discontent and he, and he goes and he grabs some stones and he runs straight at Goliath. No exit strategy, nothing, not rational at all, but God honors the passion of somebody who says, that's all I can stand, I can't stand no more. Nehemiah in the Old Testament, who's literally rebuilding the wall of Jerusalem because he can't stand that, that the wall is broken down. So he's literally building with a masonry trowel in one hand and a sword in the other hand. And God honors that because of his passion, because it's the right thing to have a passion for. I think of Martin Luther King Jr., who couldn't stand the racial oppression he saw all around him in the southern states in the 50s and the 60s. And he knew taking a stand might cost him his life, and sure enough, a bullet struck him down 50 years ago this next April. But his holy discontent wouldn't let him live otherwise. It's all I can stands, I can't stands no more. Why would Moses lead the children of Israel up to the promised land? It's crazy, but he had a holy discontent. Why would I, why would my wife and I lead this church to do what we've done? It's that same holy discontent. And sometimes it's been just as crazy as leading the children of Israel through the desert, I want to tell you. My holy discontent started in high school with a Doobie Brothers song. Many of you heard me talk about this before, but really it, it, it was a defining moment. It was, it was that moment for me. Uh, the, the Doobie Brothers, for some reason, released a song called Jesus is Just All Right With Me. Remember that one? Oh, classic, man, that, that, that guitar solo. I mean, it's, it's incredible, right? And honestly, it was one of the first times, this is what I was thinking about even overnight. This is one of the first times I remember actually being proud to be a Jesus follower. Let me say that again. This is one of the first times I ever felt proud of being a Jesus follower. My friends all liked the song, and they didn't seem to mind Jesus. If I would have invited them to church, it wouldn't have been the same reaction. And when I realized that the Doobie Brothers could have more of an impact accidentally for Jesus with one song on my friends than the entire church of the United States could have as it continued to be irrelevant to my generation, that's when I hit my holy discontent. It's all I could stand, and I can't stand no more. I married a woman who grew up and felt the same thing, and we set out to, to help Jesus be just all right with me to our friends and, and our kids and their friends. 
in Chicagoland area. How had the church become irrelevant? Well, it's very simple. Because the people of God, actually people anywhere, they get selfish, they get comfortable, they get distracted, and they forget the goal. They say, the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. Have you heard that before? The main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. We have to always do that, but we forget to do that. Eastern Airlines Flight 401 clashed, crashed into the Florida Everglades in 1972. 96 people died. You want, do you want to know why? Sometimes we don't know why planes crash. People survived this one. We know what happened. The, they hit the landing gear to land in Miami, and, and, and the little light didn't go on that said the landing gear was going down. And they thought they heard it, but, but there, was no, there was no light. So the pilots started messing around with the little light, and the co-pilots started messing around with the little light, and they were trying to take the cover off and see if they could maybe replace the bulb so they could figure out what was going on. And they even had some attendants coming in, and, and they were all messing around with the little bulb. And while they were messing around with the little bulb, nobody noticed that the autopilot had kicked off, and they literally flew into the Everglades messing around with a 75-cent light bulb because they forgot to fly the plane. That's what's happened to the church. That's what happens to any human organization. We forget what the main thing is. What is the main thing? The main thing is the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. That's the main thing. So if you want to know what my holy discontent is, you want to know what makes me say, that's all I can stand and I can't stand no more, it's that Jesus died for people he can't save because his own people keep getting in the way. That's my holy discontent. Please understand, if you're a part of Parkview, you need to know this is exactly what we're about. If you think you're going to come here and this church is going to be about you and what you want, you're probably in the wrong place because you know what? This church isn't about me and what I want. If it was about me and what I want, we'd be in Nashville or Southern California where my grandkids live. But it's not about me and what I want. God wants me here helping you with your friends and your family to get connected to their father. And the marching orders of Jesus, this is part of the main thing, last will and testament of Jesus is this. And this is what our vision is always based on. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them, so important he put it in here, in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach them to obey everything I've commanded you, and surely I'm with you even till the end of the age. What a great passage of Scripture. He's with us, but we've got marching orders. What are our marching orders? We call it reach, raise, and release. This is the system. This is the main thing for us. Main thing is to reach. Go into all the world. Baptize them. That, that's, that's what we're supposed to do. Then we raise. We make disciples of all nations, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. As we help you to grow, we raise. And then we release, sending them back out into the world to start the process all over again. That's discipleship. That's called multiplication. That's called Christianity. So what you should want to know is, okay, well, if that's the main thing, how are we doing with the main thing? Well, let's talk about Reach. Outreach Magazine, aptly named Outreach Magazine, has two lists every year. Uh, one is the list of the 100 fastest growing churches in the country, and one is the list of the 100 largest churches in the country. And we're on both lists this year. We are the 46th fastest growing church in America and the 49th largest participating church in America. Welcome to Parkview. 
You might be going, that guy's up there clapping for himself. No, no, listen, you don't, you don't understand. That, that's not the point. I mean, we added the new Linux campus this year. We tweaked the Homer campus from Lockport. We've done a lot of great things to make all that stuff happen. But the reason that I'm happy about being on that list is because every number represents a human soul. And that's the main thing. Okay, it's not a numbers game. Larger isn't necessarily better. Growing fast doesn't always happen for the right reasons. You know, we could, we could have a kegger out here every week and grow fast if we wanted to. But that's not the point. I just gave you an idea. I'm sorry. The point is, Jesus said, then the master told his servants, go out into the roads and the country lanes and make them come in so my house will be full. Make them, I want my house full. So, so yeah, it's good to be on the list. Our mission has never changed. Our vision has never changed. You know what's changed? And this is what keeps me up at night. What's changed is our potential impact. Because the more we grow, the farther we reach, the more we can grow and the farther we can reach. And it's a lot. We reach. How do we reach? Let me just tell you a couple of things. I mean, one is through technology. Many of you are watching me online right now. As a matter of fact, some of the people on our Holy Land trip don't go to Parkview anymore because they've moved away, but they came on the Holy Land trip because of that. The front door of our church is not the front door of our church. The front door of our church is technology. People are usually, have usually watched online. They've, they've seen our stuff before they ever come in. <clears throat> and so that's important for you to understand. As a matter of fact, let me give a shout out to uh, Airman Tyler Pernobus, who's watching us in Louisiana. He said, hey, Parkview, I used to go to Orland every, every Sunday and was baptized there last year. September, I joined the Air Force and now currently stationed in Louisiana. Just want to thank you for having an impact on my life by making the online services available. You do that through your generosity, guys. It's really tough being away from home and especially away from your home church. There's no place like Parkview, and I just wanted to say thank you, and hopefully I'll be home on leave to be able to attend Christmas services. God bless. Here's a picture of him watching online. Way to go. Way to go, Tyler. We can't wait to have you back, man. That's fantastic. Okay? But one thing you can do is make sure that you're following us on social media and share it, pass it. I mean, you go into all the world by, by liking on a Facebook page. This is kind of weird. It's a weird world we live in, but you can do that. And then once a person knows our church exists, we hope that they will check out a worship experience and attend a service. And we hope that, that the next step is that somebody will go to one of our campuses. And by the way, let me explain that. If you don't know this, we have three campuses, not just the one that you're, that you're listening to, to this right now. We have three of them. You know why? Because some of our people drive over an hour to get to our church, but when they try to invite their friends to drive a long way, they don't want to go. So we're taking our campuses to you. We hope to have two more by the end of 2020. We're trying to get one farther north, trying to maybe get one down south, maybe Bourbonnet, Kankakee, even something like that. We want to get up into Tenley Palace. We want to have more of these campuses because we want to make it easier for you to invite your friends. We know that that's the, the, the way that it's got to go. We, we reach and we get them to attend a service and then hopefully they're going to get baptized. And we're going to talk about that later. Baptism is a first step in your faith journey, not the last. We've had 428 people baptized so far in 2017, 50 already this weekend. The first guy that got baptized at our Orland campus on Saturday night 
was an 88-year-old man who was in a wheelchair. They literally wheeled him up to the edge and, and helped him into the tub, and he was the very first guy. I mean, you want to talk about setting the bar, he set the bar. I don't, I don't, know, I don't know what you're thinking is your problem, but, but if Arno wanted to do it at 88, man, th this is the next thing, okay? At the end of this service, we're going to give you an opportunity to do it. And then we race. Our definition of a disciple is this. Uh, we want to raise you up to be fully devoted disciples, being with Jesus, learning to be like Jesus in every area of our lives for the sake of the world. Do you see what we did there? Okay. A lot of churches, well, a lot of people will talk about discipleship or they'll talk about growth, Christian growth, and it's for them. It's never for you. Never going to be for you. Are, you. are you following this with me? Okay. It's never going to be about you. We want you to grow for the sake of the world. We want you to grow so that we can release you into the world and we can start over again. That's what we do. How do we raise? How do we raise you? Well, <laughs> this is where we kind of fall in the category of Home Depot. You know what their motto is? You can do it, we can help. You know this, right? You can do it, we can help. That's, we can't make you grow in your Christian life any more than your personal trainer can make you grow muscles, okay? You're gonna have to do something, we're going to help you. So we have corporate worship. We have 10 services a weekend. I mean, it's important that you understand that. There, there's a time for where we come together, and that helps you in your faith. We have this new rooted thing that's going on. It's incredible. This 11-week experience. We've got 850 people in it at all of our campuses now, and we've got it half filled up for the January session in reservations because it's an incredible time to get together and grow and we have our big uh, celebration night on Friday night. I was texting with someone, and they said, I'm real excited about our tooted celebration. Siri changed rooted to tooted, so I hope it doesn't turn out like that. It's rooted, okay? <laughs> we have small groups that we need you to get involved in because just listening to a sermon every weekend is not enough. One hour out of 168 that you spend in church is probably not going to make up for all the other things that are going on. So you need to be in Bible study. You need to be in groups together. As we were going through the Tel Aviv airport, you got to understand it's the most secure airport in the world for obvious reasons, right? And we're going through with a group, so they questioned me, and they, 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 they pulled some people, profiled some people out of our, out of our group, out of our line. And, and one of our ladies that was with our group, somebody was interrogating her. And this is how the conversation went. How long, who are you here with? She said, my church group. How many people? There were 39 of us. They said, how long have you gone to this church? She said, nine years. She said, how many of the people did you know in your group before you went on this trip? And Elaine said, none of them. And the person said, how could you go to a church for nine years and not know the people in your group that you went to the Holy Land with? Now, this is a very connected and involved couple. This, this wasn't an indictment. It, it, what it was, was it, the, the problem was this person asking the question had no frame of reference for a church that has 10 services on three campuses with over 25,000 people that call us home. I mean, they just couldn't process that, how you could go on a trip with somebody that you didn't know from the same church. And here's what I started thinking of. They brought up a good point. Because if you go to a small church, the advantage is you get to know everybody. The disadvantage is you get to know everybody. You can't get away from them, okay? I mean, you, it's up to you. I'm just saying. The, the, the thing about a large church is the, 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 the advantage is you don't have to know anybody if you don't want to. The disadvantage is you don't have to know anybody if you don't want to. And you can't live and grow like that. So you can do what we can help means we want to get you involved. We want to get you connected with people. We want to get you serving, 
Mitchell, come here. Come here, man. You got you to come out here. Where are you at? I told you I was going to pick on you. This is Mitchell, and, and he's 13 years old. Give him a shout-out, maybe. He's 13 years old, and he's on our tech team, helping out, moving stuff, okay? High five, Mitchell. Get out of here. I love you. How, what's your problem? He's 13 years old, okay? We want to get you serving. We want to get you connected. We want to get where, this is how you grow. This is how you become a disciple. We want to help you with generosity. You need to get plugged in and start having faith in your giving. That's how this works. We start figuring out how you can do your own Bible study and have chair time every day and start growing on your own because we want to raise you, but you can do it. We can help is all, all we got, okay? And then we want to release. And then the vision is to release. We're called to go. And being saved is not about us. It's still about them. It's still about everybody out there in our world, in our community. And for you, it could be as simple as just inviting somebody to come. The most effective tool we have in going into all the world and spreading the gospel is for you to invite somebody. Who are you inviting to Christmas Eve? Do you know that 75% of the people out there would go to church if somebody asked them? They're just waiting for an invitation. That, that just release. I release you right now. So where are you at? I mean, obviously, we've got missions. We, we've got lots of ways for you to serve as we release you. And, and obviously, as you move away and you're, you're, you're an airman in Louisiana or, or wherever you are, we're releasing you to go do ministry where you are. But where are you at right now? In all of those areas, my, my challenge for you is how are you helping us with the vision? Because I'm going to lead, we're going to lead, this is what we're here for, but you've got to follow. I'm telling you, I'm leading you to the promised land. You can follow or not, but we need you. I still can't stand when I see people all around me that need the hope and grace of Jesus and their life is falling apart and they might spend eternity away from their heavenly father and they can't seem to find it. And it breaks the father's heart too. I was on the very path this past week, where Jesus is coming down on that donkey on Palm Sunday, and he stops and he looks over Jerusalem and he weeps. Had a huge impact on me. He weeps over the city because he knows that they're not going to follow. When is the last time that happened? The Bible says, from everyone who's been given much, much will be demanded. And from one who has been entrusted with much, much more will be asked. That's us, guys. So we constantly are moving people to the bullseye. Here's the bullseye for us. And from uncommitted to committed to attendance, figure out where you're at on this because I'm going to keep shoving you to the middle. I can promise you. Committed to attendance, committed to membership, committed to maturity, committed to ministry. We want to keep getting you to the point where you are raised up and you are a part of this vision and we go do this together. That's what we're going to be all about. So let's go back to the baptism thing, okay? Here's the deal. There's a ceremony for all the important things in life. You know you're married because you had a ceremony. You graduated, you had a ceremony. You didn't have to have a, a, a fancy wedding. You didn't have to have a fancy grad. You didn't have to go to graduation, I don't guess. But, but, but there's a ceremony. I mean, the ceremony for being a Christian is baptism. And that's why Jesus told us to get baptized. As a matter of fact, he said, whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. I mean, it was that important to it. In Acts 2.38, when the people responded, Peter got up and he preached the first sermon on the day of Pentecost. First thing he tells them to do, they said, what should we do now? We killed Jesus. He said, repent and be baptized, every one of you. 
for the name of Jesus, for the forgiveness of sins, and receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That was so important. It says in verse 41 that they gladly received the word and were baptized. Gladly. All throughout the New Testament. Uh, everybody that came to Jesus, the first thing that they did, there was an urgency of getting baptized. And they did it by immersion. I got a video to show you about that. They did it by immersion because it represented the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Not only that, but in the Great Commission, what does Jesus tell us? Go into all the world and baptize. Why would he put it in there if it wasn't important? I mean, going into the world, making disciples, teaching them, that all seems like important stuff. Why did he throw baptism in there? And the word literally meant immersion. And I'm not going to argue about whether it got changed 1,100 years later and, and they started sprinkling and all that kind of stuff. That doesn't matter, okay? You, you could say, well, when my parents baptized me when I little and I confirmed it later. That's great, okay? But, but what about being baptized the way Jesus did? If you're going to be a Jesus follower, why not do it the way he did? He got baptized by immersion. He walked 60 miles through that desert I was just in. He walked 60 miles to go find his cousin John. And when he showed up, John said, whoa, 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 I'm not baptizing you. I need you to baptize me. And, and Jesus said, no, no, I want to do it. Jesus didn't have to. He could have said, when I was eight days old, I was consecrated in the temple by my parents. He, I grew up in the synagogue. I'm 30 years old now. It would be too embarrassing for me to be baptized. But he didn't say that. Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan River to be baptized by John, and John said, I need to be baptized by you. And Jesus replied, let it be so now. It is proper to do this to fulfill all righteousness. That's such an important term to me. Uh, this isn't about what saves you or doesn't. This, isn't, this is about what's all going on on the inside. But Jesus did it to fulfill all righteousness. And John said, okay. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water, and at that moment, heaven was opened. He saw the Spirit of, the dove, of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, that's my boy. I love. With him, I am well pleased. What part of that sounds like a bad idea to you? And by the way, I brought back the Jordan River. This is literally Jordan River water. I checked it in my luggage. We wrapped it up. We double bagged it. I stuck it in the river when I was there. And it's in every tub at every one of our campuses. It's mostly Lake Michigan water, a little bit of Jordan River water. But if you want to, you could tell your friends you got baptized in the Jordan. I mean, technically... I'm just saying it works. Here's, the, here's what the Apostle Paul said in the message paraphrase. When we went under the water, we left the old country of sin behind. When we came up out of the water, we entered a new country of grace. I love this. The new life and a new land. That's what baptism is into the life of Jesus means. When we are lowered into the water, it's like the burial of Jesus. And when we're raised up out of the water, it's like the resurrection of Jesus. Here's a little video I shot while we were on location at a really cool baptistry spot. So I'm in Beth Shan in Israel. This is a big ancient archaeological site, a lot of historical significance, all the way back to uh, King Saul. King David broke in here to get King Saul's uh, murdered body uh, off the wall. And it's just all this historical significance, incredible, just layer upon layer upon layer. But, but I'm here because I wanted you to see a baptistry. Okay, so after they build on a layer, they build another layer, and from what the scholars can figure out, archaeologists figure out, this is from probably between the 4th and 5th century. 
So after Christianity comes on the scene, I, 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 I want you to understand, Christianity comes on the scene, Constantine becomes, uh, is the emperor, and he becomes a Christian. Christianity starts to spread. Uh, I just want you to notice that this is an immersion baptistry. Okay, I know a lot of you grew up with infant baptism. A lot of you grew up with sprinkling baptism. But the earliest form of baptism, always, from the very beginning, Jesus was baptized by immersion. Everybody in the New Testament that came to Jesus was baptized by immersion. It was so important to them to see the cross. But this was, I mean, this is just a small house of worship that would have been here whenever it was, 4th, 5th century, whenever it was. But it was so important to them that they built in a baptistry in, in this thing. So that's why we have one in ours. And um, baptism, immersion baptism, had that much meaning. It, maybe it ought to to us. You could say, well, I can't do it today, man. I, I didn't plan on doing it. Zero people in the Bible planned on getting baptized. Zero. It's just like, oh, I should get baptized? Okay, I'm going to do it. There's water. I'm going to do it. You, you, you could start giving me the excuses, but you probably heard me do this before. We got a towel. You don't have a towel? I got a towel, okay? I don't have a change of clothes. We have leftover T-shirts from every campaign we've ever done, okay? And we got a life on men. We got, I mean, we got so many leftover T-shirts. If you want a leftover T-shirt, let me know. We got a change of clothes for you. But I got to drive home, and I'm going to get my car seats wet. Plastic bag, ding, ding, ding. You just set it down. You sit on it. Your leather seats won't get wet. It's all good. They're like, well, it's kind of chilly outside today. Hey, we could do Russian baptisms. I mean, who's got to stand in line for that? That's the real problem, right? Are you kidding me? That's commitment, man. Don't talk to me about how cold it is out there. What about my stuff? No, no, we'll give you a plastic bag if your cell phone's, you know, going to be a problem. We got these cool bags. I got dunked at Parkview. Put your stuff in it. We'll, we'll help you with everything. All you need to do is go to the back of all of our auditoriums, all of them, campus pastor or me, somebody's going to be in the tub, and we're going to do baptisms. And we've already done like 50. We're going to keep doing them all day. You're, you're going to say, the biggest one people tell me is, well, I can't, I, my family's not here, man. This is, I, I want my family to be here. Listen to me. Your family is here, okay? I, I love your family. You love your family. I'd love for them to be here. But if this is your day, if this is the holy discontent that God is putting inside of you, don't wait. Apostle Paul, before he became the Apostle Paul, he, he, he realized he wanted Jesus. And Ananias, who was the mentor that was helping him, said, what are you waiting for? Get up, be baptized, calling on his name. Wash your sins away, calling on his name. So we're going to get in the tub. Campus pastor is going to be in the tub. You go to the back of the auditorium. We're going to, we're going to have communion. We're going to have a video testimony. Then we're going to have a, a communion time. And, and then we'll, get, we'll start bringing people up. We'll start doing baptisms. Just go to the back. If you're thinking about it today, do it today. Don't put it off. We were, here's a picture of uh, Gates of Hell. This is one of the interesting sites that we were at, Caesarea Philippi. That, that cave, mouth of the cave there, they literally called the gates of hell. That was literally like the place where pagan sacrifices were being made. They had temple prostitutes there to all the pagan deities. This was like, the, this was like Vegas on, on crack, okay, for the people of Jesus' day. I mean, this is, this is like this horrible place. And Jesus, for some reason, led his disciples all the way. This is at one end of Israel. He led them all the way there, and they were like, dude, why are, why are we going to Caesarea Philippi? This is crazy. 
crazy. And he sat them down and he said, okay, guys, who do people say that I am? And they said, well, some say you're Elijah, some say you're a prophet, you know, come, come back, whatever. And then he said, who do you say that I am? And Peter, impetuous Peter, impetuous leader Peter, jumped in and said, you're the Christ, you're the Messiah, you're the Son of God. And that's the spot where Jesus turned to Peter and said, that's right. And on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So I want to give you the opportunity right now. We can't all go over there and be there at the same time. But I want to give you the opportunity right now to repeat the good confession after me. Then we're going to play video. The ushers are going to pass. Then we'll do communion. And then we'll start doing it. And if today is your day, this should mean even more to you as you repeat it after me. I believe... That Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and He is my Lord and Savior. Let's do it.